Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website www.exchangechurch.org.au. Amen. We are now going to move to uh, the preaching of God's Word. We love to open up the Bible here at Exchange. It's a place uh, where we come and we hear God speak to us direct from His Word. Let me just get the right app here. That's the one. It's a direct where God speaks to us clearly from His Word. And uh, we've been going through the book of Genesis over the last probably six weeks or so. And uh, we are moving now into Genesis 34, 35. And again, as we think about that today, um, I just want us to set the scene by thinking of this. Um, yep, there we are. Uh, rape, lies and murder has set the scene for many, many novels or books over the years. Uh, back in the day, when you used to be able to fly out of an airport many, many months ago, you could go to book stands and you could buy a book to read on the plane, and very often that would be a common theme there in those books. Uh, rape, lies and, or, and murder. Uh, rape, lies and murder also is an all too common occurrence today still. Uh, we see sadly young women who are raped, uh, then murdered, and then a whole heap of lies told by the offender to try and cover up what they've done. Terrible, uh, sad events that do take place. Well, believe it or not, we're going to see that today of Jacob's family as well. It's a family that God has continued to outwork his salvation plans through into the world. But we're going to see a really messy chapter here in in chapter 34 of Genesis. And uh, we'll see it turn around in 35 where there's, there's rape and there's lies and there's murder taking place. So if you've got your Bibles there, please go with me to uh, Genesis 34 and uh, we'll read from verse 1. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dinah, but his sons were with with his livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it, and the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. For such a thing must not be done. But Hamor spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it and get property in it. Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, Let me find favour in your eyes and whatever you say to me I will give. Ask me for as great a bride price and gift as you will, and I will give whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully because he had defiled their sister Dinah. They said to them, 
We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. And then we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters to ourselves and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. Their words pleased Hamor and Hamor's son Shechem. And the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honourable of all his father's house. So Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of the city and spoke to the men of the city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in our land and trade in it, for behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men agree to dwell with us to become one people, when every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock, their property and all their beasts be ours? Only let us agree with them and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of his city listened to Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of his city. On the third day when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with a sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys and whatever else was in the city and in the field. All their wealth, all their little ones and all their wives, all that was in the houses they captured and plundered. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, should he treat our sister like a prostitute? Father, we thank you today that we can come this morning and to gather around you. We ask and pray in the Holy Spirit, speak to us through the narrative here of Genesis 34 and 35. Lord, as we see this terrible mess in chapter 34, and then, Lord, when we see your grace being poured out into the lives of Jacob and his family. Help us to pull these two chapters together, Lord, to see how you work, to see your grace and to see how we are called to live in that grace before you. Uh, Lord, we commit that to you now. Ask your Spirit's help now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, long reading there of Genesis 34, but really important for us to see what's happening there in that scene. Now, really, as we read that chapter, we could ask ourselves, is that really true? Is that really in the Bible? You see, this is one of those passages here that in the Bible, the people who aren't believers read and they say, how can you possibly believe in a God who lets that happen? Are you guys for real? Is this the sort of God you worship? A wicked God who allows all these things to happen. Now, if you read Genesis 34 and 35 in isolation to the rest of the Bible, I think you'd have a pretty strong case to argue for that, if that's all you could see of God, was just in Genesis 34 and Genesis 35. Praise God, though, we have a far bigger revelation of who he is than just Genesis 34 and 35. 
when we see God in the full light of scripture, in all of scripture, we see a holy, just and righteous God. But we also see a loving, merciful and grace filled God as well. What are we doing? We're following the life here of Jacob and his family. They've moved back to Canaan under the command of God. And we're seeing here perhaps just the first few weeks as they've crossed over the River Jordan and gone into the land of Canaan. Here's our big idea today as we think about these two chapters. Uh, Inclusion into God's family is by grace alone. But this grace must motivate us to live like a family member. Inclusion by grace alone, but this grace must motivate us to live like a family member. Let's think about Genesis 34 here for a second, because uh, from every level it would seem like this is a disaster as far as God is concerned. How on the earth is God made to look great by any of the actions by these people involved here? What on the earth did these people get up to for all this to take place? As we do that, I want us to sort of flip between the characters here in Genesis 34 and what we're going to see is their continual failures before God. Let's kick off with Jacob first. Jacob's arrived back in Canaan, the promised land where God has told him, but he's told him to go to Bethel as his homeland, to go there and settle in Bethel. Jacob didn't do that. He actually stopped about 30 k short at Shechem. He didn't go all the way to Canaan. He actually stopped at Shechem, about 30 k short of doing that. Jacob hasn't fully obeyed God. It's been like a half measure. There's already a fail for Jacob for not fully obeying God. In Genesis 34, Jacob has set up camp just outside of Shechem, this village. And this has gotten uh, Dinah, his daughter called Dinah, uh, very interested here in the locals. Dinah has been looking across at the girls at Shechem for a few days now, seeing how they live and what they're wearing. And perhaps Dinah is just starting to think, I'd like to be like them because she sees what they're doing. She's greatly attracted to them. So what does Dinah do? One morning she gets up and just goes out for a little journey, leaves the camp and wanders over to Shechem to see what the girls are doing over there. Dinah hasn't told anybody where she's going and she has no chaperone with her. At the very least, she should have told her father Jacob what she was doing and she should have also had a chaperone with her for her protection because they're in the land of foreigners at this time. What happens to Dinah? The local stud of the town, Shechem, who happens to be named after the town as well, sees Dinah and he rapes her. The text there said before, he seized her and humiliated her. In other words, he raped Dinah. But now he's drawn to her. He wants to marry her. So he actually keeps her confined to his house while they go and make an approach to Jacob here for marriage. So far in Genesis 34, it's a pretty bad start, isn't it? It gets worse. It gets worse. Word gets back to Jacob that Dinah's been raped. Now, Jacob's response here is noticeably quiet. He's not really overly concerned. He's not kicking up any big fuss here at all. I'm sort of asking here, what sort of father is Jacob? Where's his convictions about his daughter? He's saying very little at this stage. Jacob's sons, Dinah's brothers, come in from the field and they hear about this rape as well. What's their response? Boiling anger. These guys are furious. They are heated with rage. Now that's a slightly better response than Jacob's, but as we follow it through, it's still not good as well either. 
Haymor comes out, the father of Shechem, to try and negotiate some sort of deal to get Dinah to be uh, Shechem's wife. Hey, why don't we all become one big happy family, Haymor says. You join with our village and we'll join with you guys. There's lots of room for all of us to grow here in Shechem. We can just become one family. Jacob's forgetting now at this point in time that he's the chosen people of God. These are foreigners. The sons of Jacob hear this uh, uh, approach and what do they do? They hatch a lying plan of murderous revenge for Dinah. Okay, we'll join with you guys just as long as you become circumcised just like us. If you do that, yeah, we can come together as one big happy family. Hamor's people all agree to this. But at the same time, they're actually thinking, oh, eventually these guys will be just swallowed up by us and they'll just become all of us. A few days later, as the males of Shechem are in severe pain as they heal from their circumcision, in comes Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi. What do they do? They sharpen up their swords and they brutally butcher every male in that village. They kill every single male in Shechem. In boiling rage, Simeon and Levi abuse God's sacred covenant of circumcision and use that as a cover-up to go in there and carry out this evil atrocity upon the people of Shechem. The rest of the sons come on in and they actually pick up all the plunder that's in Shechem now, stealing everything that they've got. They return back from Shechem covered in blood, but they've also recaptured their sister Dinah as well. And what's Jacob's response when all this happens? He doesn't respond with a word of correction for the anger of his sons and their evil actions, but he responds with fear for his own life from the rest of the Canaanites. That's Genesis 34. It's a mess. It's a disaster. Even though Jacob is a transformed man, when we saw that last week from Genesis 32, it's a slow transformation here. At this point in 34, he's failed at every turn. Dinah is part of the covenant community, his daughter, or God's chosen people, but she's not content with that. She feels like she's missing out on life somehow. She's looking at all the girls at Shechem, and she just wants to be just like them. Jacob's sons are uncontrolled Hotheads, lying murderers, carrying out mass slaughter. And if you look carefully through Genesis 34, God's not even there. He's not even mentioned in Genesis 34. In some ways you might think, wouldn't it be better if we just took Genesis 34 out of the Bible? Maybe we could just get a pair of scissors and cut neatly around it, just chop it out and bring all the numbers back one and now we end up with 49 chapters in Genesis instead of 50. If we just took that one out, wouldn't that be way better? This is a really messy, nasty chapter which has gone crazy. God in no way condones all the behaviour that we read about in the Bible. Why are these stories here? They are here for us to see the depravity and the evilness of humanity. These stories are the true stories. These stories are here for us to see what men and women look like when they leave God completely out of the picture. It's a picture here. It's a picture of a depraved humanity and the depths that they will fall to. And what we see here in the depths of evil people 
is it begins to provide a very clear contrast of God of how amazing God's grace is for us that he provides for us and then to transform us from these types of people. Genesis 34 is a mess. It's all about the evil here of mankind. But Genesis 35 turns all that around. It's actually a picture here of God's scandalous grace. If you think about it, it's it's though God has been sitting on the benches here through Genesis 34, watching all this mayhem take place at Shechem, just sort of uninvolved. It sort of appears like that. But now in verse in Genesis 35, in verse 1, he moves back in and he says this, basically, paraphrase, get up, Jacob, go to Bethel, just as I told you to. So God sort of steps back into the scene here in verse 1. But he keeps moving through this now and investing in the life of Jacob. And again in verse 5, he says this, uh, As they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. God graciously protects Jacob and his murderous family as they travel amongst all these other neighbouring towns and villages here in Canaan. And don't worry, word would have got around for what Jacob's boys had done at the village of Shechem and the murder they committed. And they would have been out there, these other villages, to settle that score and get justice. But no, God protects them. God preserves Jacob and his family when they should have been taken out by the other towns and villages. That's God's grace operating there. And look again, we see God speaking directly to uh, Jacob in verses 9 and 12, and he says this, God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall you be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. And the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. What's God doing? Graciously blessing Jacob, pouring his favour upon Jacob at this time. It's a renewing here of the covenant or promise that God gave to his grandfather Abraham and to his father Isaac and now reminding it again here to Jacob that he's the chosen one, the promised one. He's even changing Jacob's name here to Israel, which means to struggle or strive with God and to prevail. Jacob, you're going to be one who prevails with God. Jacob, you're going to be one who enjoys God's glory in your life and through your family. You may be asking this question right now in your mind. God, how can you bless a failed, lying, murdering family like this? Didn't you see what they did in Shechem? Didn't you see those swords come out? Do do they just walk away from that whole disaster scot-free? Is that what happens? God, how can you let Genesis 34 take place and then just let it go? You see, these are questions that unbelievers have when they read through the Bible like this. They can't get this. They can't understand this. And I think they're valid questions. If all we had was Genesis 34 and Genesis 35, it's a valid question. 
this doesn't seem right. God, how can you do this with such evil? And then you bless in the very next chapter. Really good question for us to think about as well. You see, with all of Scripture, not just Genesis 34 and 35, with all of Scripture, we can see God's salvation plan from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. With all of Scripture, we can see God's justice being carried out. What did we just hear about Jacob there? There's a king who is coming. From your body will come a king. This is the salvation story of God, that there's a coming king, a coming Messiah, who will make all things right. This coming king will help us to make sense of everything when we don't understand it. Let's have a look at this king here. As you see him spoken about in Romans chapter 3. It says this in verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Absolutely. Jacob, Dinah, Simeon, Levi, you, me, we've all fallen short of God's glory. We've all fallen short of how God wants us to live for him. We've all failed God. Move on to verse 24. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Here's a picture of the king there. There's the king's name for us right there. Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And we're justified by his grace as a gift. We are justified. We are made right. We are forgiven of all our sins before God. In Jesus Christ, the king who's coming from Jacob. He has made us right by his death on the cross bearing all of our sins, all of our evil deeds. Let's follow on now at the end of verse 25. It says this, This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that we might be, that he might be, sorry, the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Really important part there at the end of verse 25. Because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins, sins in the past. God has passed over our former sins in divine forbearance or patience. How? How can God do that? Answer? Because Jesus, who was coming, would be the one who would take God's justice on our behalf. That's how that works. So if we bring this now back to Jacob and Dinah and Jacob's sons and everything that was carried out there in Genesis 34, we ask this question. Does God approve of their behaviour? Answer, absolutely not. God does not condone of that at all. God in no way condones of lying and murdering. And in just the same way, God doesn't condone in jealousy or bitterness or angry thoughts either. So God in his grace doesn't overlook those sins committed at Shechem. He's not actually just forgetting about them and just moving on and say, oh, well, that's in the past, forget about it. God's not doing that. All of those sins committed by Jacob and Dinah and by Jacob's sons, all of those sins committed at Shechem, they are all placed on Jesus, God's son, to bear our punishment. 
And that was a provision that was coming in the future. Because in God's divine forbearance, he passed over the former sins, didn't deal with them back then because he knew who's going to deal with them through his son, Jesus. So Jacob, Dinah and the sons, all of them are provided forgiveness with God through Jesus Christ if, if they'll put their trust in God's gracious provision. That's how God does that. Now, now you might say, is that right? Can I have all those sins washed away? Can someone be truly forgiven of murder just like that? Can someone be forgiven of rape just like that? Yes. That's God's grace. It may appear scandalous. It may appear crazy. But when you truly see it, that is God's grace, you see that God is just. Punishment was carried out for all of those sins. It was carried out on Jesus. And when you see that and his offer of forgiveness through what Christ has done for us, you get a glorious picture, a glorious picture here of God beyond all description working in and through that grace. Let's follow this through a little bit more, though. Well, how then shall we live in the light of this grace? If God has been so marvellous towards us, how should we respond to him? Through godly, upright living. That's how we should respond. The right and proper response to God's grace in all that he has done for us is to now live a life that reflects God's greatness out through our lives as best we possibly can. A life of godly living in thankfulness not to earn anything from God, but to display his greatness and thankfulness through our lives for what God has done. And we actually begin to see the beginnings of this godly living also in Jacob and his family here when we flip over into Genesis 35. Look with me in verses 2 to 4. He says this, So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I can my make that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. So here's the picture of Jacob's family. They're drawing a line in the sand. They're drawing a line in the sand here. We've accumulated a whole range of religious paraphernalia and foreign gods, things that we've worshipped along the way. And none of these things is connected with the one true living God. They've all been false distractions that have led us away from God. And as part of living for the one true God now and experiencing his forgiveness, we want to get rid of all these false objects. Put them away, Jacob says. Get rid of them. Separate yourselves from those things and wholly dedicate your lives now to live for the, the, the one true Lord. Put it away. Cut it off. Now, today for us, it looks a bit like Dinah. You see, Dinah didn't seem content with living God's way in the family. She looked out over the field and she saw all those girls in Shechem and she wanted to be like them. So the girls at Shechem just seem to be living the dream. 
They seem to be doing all the good, to- having all the good times and doing all the cool stuff. So Dinah thought, maybe, maybe I can live in the covenant family or God's family, but I can still enjoy all the stuff they're doing as well. You know, sort of trying to have a bet both ways. It's a bit edgy what they're doing, but uh, it's not really on. But it's not crazy bad. It's just a bit on the edge. We can all be a bit like Dinah. Sometimes, in living a gospel-centered life, we can feel stifled. We can feel sort of closed in. We can look across at what other people are doing, and we feel like we're missing out on the good times, or so it seems. These people are going here and they're going there. I'm looking at all their social media posts, and they are just having fun, 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 fun. They're filling their life up with entertainment and pleasure, and their life seems so full when I look at what the people are doing over there. And it's like we desire to jump onto the pleasure train and sort of do life like that. But here's what we discover. Sure, it is a season of fun doing all that, and it's really, really enjoyable. But then we still feel somewhat empty and dissatisfied at the end. Washed up. Used up. And if we're a believer in that sense, as we're doing that sort of put in both camps or trying to fill our lives up with the pleasure of this world... What we find is our passion and our intensity for God begins to burn low. The fire begins to dampen. Godly, holy living is now less of a desire for me. When it's like that, God seems distant because I'm not drawing close to him. What do I need to do when it's like that? Being called into God's community or family requires me to separate from these things that are distancing me from growing in the gospel. Assessing my life, seeing things that are working in me. Maybe there'll be some things I have to give up altogether. Some things actually I just can't do them because they're just too much of a distraction. And maybe other things I'll need to do is just maybe do them in more of a measured response. Still be involved, but not allowed to soak up my energy and time and focus when my life is all about fun and entertainment and pleasure. And forget about who God is and the place that he takes in my life to show some restraint. This is what God's grace does for us. It liberates us from those things and it brings us into a whole new relationship where we have a whole new set of affections that are filled up by God himself. So through the gospel and the Holy Spirit's power, we can see we are saved and forgiven and then called to holy living to enjoy God's presence and his power in our lives. This is God's glorious plan for salvation for us. And this is what we see in Genesis 34 and 35. It's like a tale of destruction in Genesis 34, but we see God's grace working in 35, and we actually see it played out for us in Romans as we piece all this together. Let's pray. Father, we uh, come before you today just to thank you again as we've been able to open up Genesis 34 and Genesis 35 today, Lord, as we see uh, the truth of the gospel uh, working through those chapters. Lord, there's just uh, evil, there's rape, there's lying, there's murder, and Lord, we know, we absolutely know you don't condone any of that in your word. You're the God who actually has sent Jesus in the future to deal with that sin so that you remain just and also the justifier 
by being the one who declares us right through your son Jesus. Brother, today I pray, please let your spirit work in our hearts as we think about it today. That one day, Lord, every single one of us will have to stand before you to give an account for our lives. When we breathe our last, Lord, we stand before you. And the question you're going to ask us is, what do we do about Jesus Christ? What do we do about your son whom you sent to die in our place? Did we put our faith in? Did we put our trust in? Did we see him as our Lord and as our Saviour? Help us to think about that, Lord. Help us to see what you've done for us. Today, Father, thank you. Thank you we see your grace poured out into the life of Jacob. And, uh, Lord, you are a God who's filled with forgiveness. You are a God who's filled with grace and filled with mercy. Uh, Lord, thank you for that now. We do ask it, do pray it in Jesus' precious and mighty name. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people to Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us. 